The scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. Before I pray this morning, can I just say how much I love ECC? I mean, think about the diversity of expressions of worship we've had this morning. An incredible worship team, fantastic choir, kids dancing, and Jason lending his incredible talents to lead them, and Bach. It's incredible. So many talented people giving their gifts in service to the Lord. Now let's pray the preaching is up to par. <laughs> let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. We confess that at times portions of your word seem obscure or maybe not applicable to us at the stage of life that we are in. But your word is a lamp unto our feet and a guide unto our path. We pray that we would receive it as such. That you would help us to treasure it, to, to cherish it, and to hide it in our hearts so that when it is necessary, it is there to be that light in a dark world. Father, we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, let me take you back for a minute, 25 years ago, and tell you the story of when I first met my in-laws. Nervous young man, but what added to my nerves was the fact that I had a broken hand. Uh, my hand was in, a, not a cast, but a, a brace, and I was contemplating, should I keep the brace on, or should I take the brace off? Because, you know, I want to give my, well, I didn't know he was going to be my future father-in-law at that point, but I wanted to give him a, a good handshake. Uh, and I honestly didn't want him to ask questions about my, why I had a brace on. See, I broke my hand because I got thrown out of a basketball game. Uh, not a Big Ten championship basketball game, an intramural basketball game <laughs> for cussing at the ref. Now you think, well, how did you break your hand if you, that doesn't, okay, after I got thrown out, I walked out and punched a cinder block wall, and the wall won. Okay. Uh, in college, I did not have a, a good control of my temper. I didn't even, frankly, try. Uh, I considered it maybe manly, maybe a little bit macho. Pretty dumb. Fast forward from that point, three, four years. And I'm newly married. And still haven't learned to control my temper, my anger. And little fights, little disagreements can turn toxic. And I can see the hurt and maybe even fear on my wife's face. And I realize this isn't manly. This isn't macho. 
This is something I need to get control of. And I worked hard for years to get control of that rage. I remember my mom said that I always had this kind of undercurrent of rage in my life that was just ready to be tapped into. And I thought I had done a pretty good job. Fast forward about maybe 10 years. I'm on a ball field. And some dude says something that is, I feel, highly inappropriate to my wife. And in an instant, I'm in his face. And y'all, but for the grace of God, you were not reading about your pastor in the newspaper. Okay? I don't know my, if my wife was honored that her knight in shining armor was at her defense, or embarrassed, or maybe scared again that there's that guy that I remember from years ago. How would you describe someone who lacks self-control? There's probably a lot of different ways you could describe that person. One, dangerous. Someone with no self-control is, is a danger to themselves and to others around them. I, I wanted this week to change the sermon title kind of last minute to the eternal, to the eternal importance of self-control. It was too late. Lynn was working ahead, and I was always, as always, a kind of a day behind. So the sermon title is Cultivate Self-Control, but I wish it was the eternal importance of self-control. Because a lack of self-control is a threat to those around us. And few threats to our eternity loom as large as a lack of self-control. Now you certainly wouldn't know it by listening to popular music of virtually any genre. This week I I searched a, a database of song lyrics that was fun, uh, for the phrase, uh, lose control. There was 175 pages of song lyrics. Not, not full lyrics, just title and artist of songs from virtually every genre. genre. So rappers, Wiz Khalifa, Missy Elliott, have songs entitled Lose Control. Modern rock groups, Muse, The Neon Trees, Cage the Elephant, Bullet for My Valentine, Black Eyed Peas, all have songs about losing control. R&B star, John Legend, country music stars, Tim McGraw, Chris Young, classic rockers, Joe Cocker, Lenny Kravitz, The Scorpions, Journey, Air Supply. Air Supply does not belong in the group of classic rock. I don't know where they belong, but it's not there. Female pop stars. Selena Gomez, Britney Spears, Madonna, Janet Jackson, Kylie Minogue, 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 whatever, I don't care, all have songs about losing control. Even the punk rock group Green Day, who usually throw off kind of cliches, they're not cliche, yep, they've got a song about losing control. Now in most of those songs, that's really just a synonym for relax and have fun, I get it. But losing control is a serious thing, a dangerous thing. I really, truly hate sounding alarmist. And I'm not trying to speak in hyperbole. So let's think this morning for a few minutes 
about the seriousness of lacking self-control and the eternal importance of self-control. Let's consider what God calls us to and why. This morning, two big statements that I want us to think about and one question that I want us to consider. Two big statements and one question. The first big statement, which I've kind of already made, the person who lacks self-control puts themselves in eternal jeopardy. Last week I was talking to a friend of mine about an upcoming sermon on self-control and just kind of wrestling with it, wrestling with it and him a little bit. I wasn't wrestling him, that sounded weird. Um, and he said, Dan, Dan, you know what they call a ship that's lost its rudder, that doesn't have control anymore? I said, no, I have no idea. It's, it's a derelict ship. Now, I have never been on a ship. I've been on boats. I've never been on a ship, never been on the ocean. But I have seen Deadliest Catch. <laughs> and there has been episodes where these fishing boats have lost their rudder. They've lost their engines. They are just adrift. And it's a precarious, dangerous position to be in. The boat threatens to capsize if it's not addressing a wave correctly. It's a dangerous place. Maybe you've never been on a captain on a ship either. You've driven cars. Imagine losing control of the steering. Just gone. You can't control it. It's out of control. Now on Highway 37 on a big long stretch straight, probably not a big deal. You break. You, well, I don't know how you pull over if you have no steering. But imagine going down 46, heading towards Nashville in the wines and the hills, and you've lost steering. You're out of control. It's a precarious, dangerous situation to be in. So what is when we lack control? When we don't have self-control? The book of Proverbs, chapter 25, says a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. It's vulnerable. It's in a dangerous, precarious position. Or the passage that was read just a few moments ago puts it in eternal perspective. Paul says, do you not know that in a race all runners run to win the prize? So run so that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, he says. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So do not run aimlessly. Do not box as one just beating the air, but discipline, or I discipline my body to keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. He's holding it out there that there's this possibility that for all his work he would be disqualified from the imperishable wreath, from receiving the prize that he's been laboring after. The Christian life isn't just about entering the race. It's not about getting to the starting line. You could call that conversion. It's about finishing the race, persevering to the end, and obtaining 
the prize of eternity. Run, he says. Be disciplined so that you can reach the end. Cross the finish line. Be an overcomer. One who perseveres and is victorious. Self-control is a key to persevering and finishing well. And inheriting that wreath, that prize, that eternity. But Paul likens the Christian life to a race. And it is that, but it's not a sprint. It's not even a marathon. If anything, it's comparable to the amazing race, right? Or the steeplechase. It's filled with pitfalls and traps and hurdles. And there's enemies lurking, waiting to devour. Genesis 4, just after sin enters the world, we're told that sin is crouching at our door. And it desires to have us or to devour us. But we must, Scripture says, rule over it, control it. We have an enemy who prowls around like a, a roaring lion. He's out there on the race course. And we need to maintain control, self-control. So the first big statement, a person who lacks self-control puts themselves in eternal jeopardy. Second big statement, failure to exercise self-control is a failure to love well. Failure to exercise self-control is a failure of love. Imagine that same rudderless ship, not on the high seas anymore with, you know, the 30-foot waves, but now it's in a crowded harbor, still rudderless, still without control. Now it's not just a danger to itself, but to other ships in the harbor. Danger of colliding with them. A few years ago, actually it was 14 years ago, it was almost right after we moved here, I had to drive my old, beat-up Chevy Cavalier to the shop because the brakes were gone. Yeah, get that. The brakes were gone, and I drove it to the shop. It was too cheap to pay for the tow truck. Now it was standard, so I could downshift, and I had a parking brake. For some reason, I had to go through the drive-through at the bank, and I remember overshooting the window and having to put it in reverse and back up. But I made it to the brake shop. But what an irresponsible thing to do! Don't do that, right? <laughs> It showed no sense of kind of concern or, or care or love for my neighbors whose kids might have run out in front of me, who might have pulled out in front of me, and I would never have been able to stop. I wasn't in control, and so I was a danger to the other cars on the road. Lucky, but dangerous. In the opening illustration, I used my lack of control of my anger as an example. That was my struggle, probably still is my struggle if I don't maintain diligent control over it. 
But self-control isn't just about controlling anger. There's dozens of areas of our life that require self-control. For example, your tongue. What about the person who can't control their tongue? And they constantly say cutting, demeaning words. They're a danger to those around them. To their sense of self-worth and self-respect. To their kids, to their wives, to their husbands. What about the person who can't control their drinking? They're a danger to those around them. Or they can't control their sexual impulses and their lusts or the, the pull of pornography and they're a danger to their marriage, to their healthy, good marriage. Or they can't control their compulsion to buy and to spend. They're a danger to the financial stability of their household. Those who can't control their need to control. And so they push others away. Or politicians or managers who can't control their, their cravings for more power. They're a danger to their employees, to those they lead. The failure of love to allow yourself to become a danger to others. Now, I'm not, by any stretch of the imagination, a counselor. And I can't talk about the ins and outs of the psychology that goes into lacking control in these areas and not being able to control the impulses in any one of these areas. I do know that Scripture calls us to control them. Maybe getting counseling is step one in learning how to control them. We're called to control them because we're called to love well. And if we cannot control ourselves, we cannot love well. It's interesting, in every list that we're given in Scripture, qualifications for elders or deacons, some form of self-control shows up. They have to be sober-minded. Maybe sometimes, in most of the cases, the word self-control shows up as a requirement, a virtue that is essential for being a leader in the church. Why? Because leaders in the church are supposed to lead, to show how to love and to love well. And you can't do that if you're not self-controlled. But it's not just for church leaders. Paul, in the book of Titus, Titus chapter 2, makes it a responsibility for everybody. He says, older men, be self-controlled. Older women, be self-controlled. And those of you who are older, teach the younger how to be self-controlled. It's that important. It's that important. One writer said, that when we lack self-control, or his words, self-possession, we, we can't give ourselves in love. Because you can't get what you don't control. You can't give what you don't control. To give ourselves in love, we have to be in, in possession of ourselves, in control of ourselves, so that we can give ourselves over to the other 
in love. Scripture points to, I think, two categories of things that threaten. Two categories of things that threaten our self-control. One is ungodly or worldly or fleshly passions or desires. The Apostle Paul will say in Timothy, or I'm sorry, in Titus 2.12, grace, the grace that we receive from the Lord Jesus Christ, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Self-control is over against worldly, fleshly passions. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, the passions of the flesh wage war against our soul. So they need to be controlled. James says each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, leads to death. Now, if you're paying attention, that's Paul, Peter, and James. The apostolic big three. All warning and calling us to control our fleshly passions. I think too often, when we sin, we look for a scapegoat outside of ourselves. The world, the culture, the pressures in the world. The devil made me do it. But the apostolic big three point inside of us and say temptation would have no pull on you if it wasn't for those worldly passions and fleshly desires. That's what needs to be reined in and brought under control. Now obviously, some come to mind, right? The man who can't control his lust or the woman who can't control their lust become immoral or adulterers. Uh, The person who can't control their their passion, their lust for money becomes greedy. Uh, The person who can't control their lust for power or fame becomes ambitious in a negative sense. The person who can't control their lust, their cravings for food becomes a glutton. They lack self-control. I remember once, my dad never hid the fact that he struggled with self-control when it came to food. He couldn't hide it. Um, I remember once, my grandma said, hey Dan, do you want, my dad's name was Dan, uh, do you want breakfast? He said, sure. And she sits down in front of him, a gigantic omelet and French toast and bacon, and then begins to rail on how he needs to lose weight. So, kind of how grandma rolled. Still rolls. She's still alive. But my dad said, I, I have always struggled with controlling how much I eat. I, when I grew up as a kid, I was hungry. I often went to bed hungry. And so when I ate, I would eat as much as I could. But now as an adult, I don't have that problem. I just like feeling full. We need to exercise self-control in those obvious areas, but there's lots of areas that are maybe not quite as obvious. 
Maybe we have a, a craving for praise. Author Anne Lamont said she has to stop. She had to stop reading positive reviews of her books because they became, in her words, a huge pile of cocaine for my ego. She was addicted to the praise. In our modern world, maybe it's electronics. Maybe it's this time of year, this is a touchy stuff. Maybe it's sports. And it threatens our self-control. And we need to gain control in these areas to love well. That's the first source that Scripture, or the first category of things that Scripture says threatens our self-control. It's a broad category. Worldly, fleshly passions. There's another one that Scripture warns against. And it's substances. Specifically in Scripture, it's wine or alcohol. Now, I'm not pushing or advocating teetotaling, total abstinence. That would go beyond what Scripture requires. For some, that's absolutely, positively prudent and wise, but not required of everybody. What is required of everybody is self-control of being responsible with alcohol or any substance that can prove to be a control substance. Scripture warns against it, partly because it is addicting, and it uses phrases like, don't be addicted to much wine, don't be a slave to wine, or fill in the blank with any other substance. Don't be given to these things. But it doesn't warn against them just because they can become addictive, but because an excess use, even for those who aren't addicted, leads to a loss of self-control. Today is St. Patrick's Day. For most of us, it's an excuse to wear green. For many, it's an excuse to drink themselves into oblivion. And to lose all control. And that's not godly. That's dangerous. And we're called to exercise self-control. Those are my two big statements. Now the question. And I'm already a minute over. Big brief. The question. I found it odd that in a passage about the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, we're called to self-control. I would have thought Paul would have encouraged us to be under the control of the Spirit or led by the Spirit or in step with the Spirit. Why does he advocate for self-control in a passage about the Holy Spirit? Why does he call elders and deacons to be self-controlled instead of spirit-controlled? Did you ever think about that before? I think it's shorthand for Paul for being under the control of the Spirit. For letting the new man reign over and control the old man. And here's where gospel comes in. 
So much of this sermon so far has been law, about do this and don't do that. We need to hear that. But oh boy, we need to hear gospel too. Gospel is that Jesus Christ died for us. For our sin and for our shame. And that by faith, we died too. We died, and that old man has been crucified, Paul says in Romans 6. He's been crucified so that the body of sin can be done away with. That old man who was controlled, enslaved by earthly passions has been done away with. And we've been born again. We are now new men, new Adams, new Eves, new creations. And these new people, these new creations, are ruled by the Holy Spirit. So when Paul advocates for self-control, what he's saying is, let that new man that is controlled by the Holy Spirit overrule, control, reign supreme over that fleshly man who's died and been crucified with Christ. That has already happened. So in essence, what Paul is saying is, let the new you be the real you that lives and breathes and speaks and acts and manages your household and goes to work. Let that be the you that people see. Uh, This is the end of the series on the, the fruit of the Spirit. And I've been struck, especially this week. It's easy to see this fruit as a list of do's and don'ts. Be loving, don't be hateful. Be patient, don't be impatient. Be kind, don't be rude. And it's easy for it to turn into a checklist. What I've been overwhelmed with this week is how Christ's Spirit in us is working for our good. It is good to allow these fruit to to come to fruition in our lives. It's good and it's pleasant and it's pleasing to the Lord. It brings him glory and it brings us joy. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to work in us to continue to grow these fruits individually and as a church. And to that end, why don't we pray, please pray with me, this prayer that we've been praying all series long. Heavenly Father, I pray that I may live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day You will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, three persons and one God, have mercy upon me. Amen.